are you are you hurt by your um the loss of your guys i just uh, i just I just noticed my eyes are red and it's, it's exhaustion. It looks like I've been weeping at the end at, at Jordan pool, shooting a 40 I mean, foot three to try to try to I win a game. I don't want your sad energy. That was a, an incredible game. I'm sorry that yeah. your beloved uh, golden state warriors and Steph Curry couldn't pull it out, but from start to finish, it was so much damn fun. Yeah. I, I was just uh, probably about halfway through the first quarter. I was like, I can't believe we're watching Steph and LeBron again. Like it was just so like, it's just so it's one of those things you never, you kind of wrote off. We just said like, it wasn't going to happen. And there's no the court again. And it's just one of those things. Like it's almost like, you know, as, as you know, I'm a wrestling fan. It's like one of those things where you have a rivalry and you think it's over and they run it back one more time. And it's, and it's awesome. And it makes you, it's, it's better than that because they still got something left in the tank. Anyway, this is debatable. I'm Dominic Foxford. That's David Dennis Jr. And this is Alabaster. You could, you're telling me if the rock and stone cold laced him up one more time tonight, you wouldn't be all for it. Come on now. No, I'm good. I'll pass. I'd be a little bit intrigued, but Man, Stone Cold is washed, and yeah. they didn't really have a rivalry like that. Like that's not like what? Yeah, whatever. That would take me old. away from this game. Yeah, I guess I was too old. Uh, yeah, it's too old. Yeah. They headlined three WrestleManias, and they had a Limp Biscuit soundtrack to one of their matches. Incredible uh, stuff. Atrocious. Please, yep. Alabaster, get us. To okay, the so here. Uh, he's, trying, he's trying. He's trying to stall. I'm trying I'm to stall. stall. <laughs> I'm stalling. What about those Nixon Heat boys? <laughs> that was a great Stop game. It. <laughs> we'll get there. No, no, because we need to talk about the Lakers winning against the Warriors in Game One against all odds after David Dennis Jr. already proclaimed the Warriors NBA champions in 2023. So I ask you, Dominique Foxworth and David Dennis Jr., do you feel differently about this series? after game one um i wouldn't well first of all i wouldn't say i feel differently but i think the most important thing is good lord anthony davis like (laughs) that is the takeaway from this game is from start to finish he was the best player on the floor on both it well yeah at least for the 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 lakers on both ends of the floor his impact on the game was larger than anybody else's and this is the type of performance they're going to need out of AD and him to stay healthy to make this championship run. So it's not something that we didn't know. Like, I think coming into the series, we all knew AD was going to be a problem for, for them. And coming off of uh, a tough series with uh, the Kings, it shouldn't be that surprising that the Lakers got this win. So I'm not, my mind's not changed at all. I thought it was going to be incredible and game one lived up to the hype. Yeah, I actually kind of thought this would be a, a short series uh in the Warriors favor I was the look you we saw me after game five the Warriors won and I told you to hold your hold your horses on the series because the Kings scared the hell out of me for the they just moved they were just up and down the court so fast they had no quit in them I didn't feel that worried about the Lakers and the fact that they just came off defending uh looking great defensively against a team that ran no offense and now you're going against a team that runs uh very detailed offenses and a lot of things that you have to stay focused on for the entirety of the game. And it's going to tire them out. What I did not see, um, or I should have, I guess, is just how tired the Warriors were. They look gassed uh, yeah. in this game coming off of that, that game seven. And I think the Lakers, that's why the Lakers were able to, able to steal this game. So I think, I still think the Warriors are going to win these series, but I think the series is, is longer than I anticipated because just the math of the Lakers win the first game. Yeah, the Warriors didn't get back in transition a couple of times. Steph in particular, that stood out to me. It's understandable. He just scored 50 points in a game seven. 
uh, elimination game. So, yeah, and the whole team, I'm sure, is exhausted. But there are matchups that they can't do anything with. And to be honest, the Warriors' offense, as complex and difficult as everybody wants to talk about how it is and how impossible to stop, it seems like the Lakers are smart enough to know they can't take away everything. And it feels like they're like, all right, we are going to match up and keep try to keep AD in the paint. And you're going to have these unguarded dribble handoffs or unguarded screens that could end up with you getting open shots occasionally for Jordan Poole, for Gary Payton the second. And sometimes even, I mean, the staff where most of them are contested, but sometimes Clay Thompson, and they're going to shoot 40%, which is great for the Warriors. However, they, on the other end, they're going to get AD in the paint, and it seems like it's hard to stop. And on the defensive end for the Lakers, that decision, keeping AD in the paint, is making it hard. And even towards the end of the game, it seemed like they were trying to funnel Steph into the lane because he had to contend with AD. So it seems like it's not going to be, to me at least, it's not going to be as easy even when the Warriors get a little rest or maybe they'll feel better pretty soon. They could rip off a, a big run as they did a couple times in this game, but it's going to be hard with the war or excuse me with the Lakers understanding. I think their defensive strategy. Well, I, I think going forward, I think some of this uh, the stamina stuff is going to even out. I don't think AD sat in the second half. I, I don't think he sat at all in the second half. And the Lakers really hadn't played a, a real NBA game since Game Four of the, of the last series. Game Five, they sort of all rested. Game Six, they they blasted them by forty. So they were. They were looking pretty good. And Kerr, I think, seemed to notice and seemed to know how the, the state of his team. He sat Draymond after that third foul for uh, the last few minutes, the, the first half. He didn't have a choice. Draymond was going to get himself thrown out. He, he was going to get himself thrown out. He decided that he wanted – he was done with this foolishness. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's – you know, I think any other time you'd just put Draymond out for the last couple minutes or so in that half regardless. And he sat stuff, I think, the last six minutes of the third quarter. So he was trying to buy time. He felt that – that tiredness, but, but I agree. The Lakers are going to sort, they, these teams are going to wear each other. out. I think it's going to go down, down to like really who has any energy left by the end of this, this series, because we're going to see how AD comes out uh, in game two after playing a whole second half, obviously injuries are in play. We're going to look at how LeBron looks. This is a, yeah, this was yeah. a, 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 a quick, a fast game for him. And those jumpers were front rimming for the entirety of that second half. And I think that Warriors small lineup, at the end of that game, really started to figure some of that small lineup and that zone defense on the other end started to to do some things that Lakers they they, re- they railed off that fourteen to nothing run. They were zipping up and down the floor. They put the ball in Steph's hands, which I think they didn't do again because of the stamina thing. And so he was able to break down Vanderbilt a little bit easier off the dribble and coming off of screens and doing things like that. So I think that offense is going to click. I never quite felt like they were challenged as much as they were against Sacramento. I mean, they were kind of hitting once you once you see some of those back screens start to work, uh, you know, that that's when you feel good about the Warriors. I just think they just didn't have enough in the tank for this game. AD was erasing them boys when they was getting in the paint though. So like at some point, I, I think this goes back to the whole the old uh adage about jump shooting teams. And while the Warriors were kind of the first jump shooting team to win a championship, they don't always shoot jumpers. But this game, they always shot jumpers. I think we mm-hmm. had a misconception about them because they were such great shooters that they didn't get in the paint. They used to get in the paint this time, and maybe, again, you can tie it all to fatigue. Maybe that's the reason why this all happened, but they weren't attacking the basket. 
And when they did, they weren't able to finish. There were some things that I think should be concerning. I know you're an eternal optimist for your beloved Warriors and Steph Curry, but there's reason to be concerned. I don't think that there's reason to think that they're not in this series, obviously, mm-hmm. when they can go for an 11-0 run to close out the game and make it competitive, they could win the series. But it just it seemed like there was reason to be concerned at the end of this game for for you and for the rest of Dub Nation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if Anthony Davis is going to be is going to do that four or five times in the series, <laughs> you know, like that's that's you just you just shake his hand and say and yeah. say you won won the game. I mean, you know, that game seven, I think Steph had his career high and points in the paint. He was just driving to the paint and yeah. Wills, the Sabonis and AD are two totally different <laughs> monsters in, in there. And AD, yeah, you're right. He yeah. was blowing up a whole lot of stuff. Even the blo- the stuff that didn't show up as blocks, the players were turning around doing 180s going the other way. So they got to find a way to sort of try to get him out of the paint uh load up that small lineup i guess is is how you're gonna get him out of the paint or at least make him pay for being out there but uh draymond is guaranteed to foul out or get text if he has to deal with ad through the course of the entire game i think um dennis schroeder is also stands out to me as somebody who had a huge impact on this game defensively and offensively it's not with the lakers it's never quite obvious who is going to be around ad that steps up but you hope somebody does. And I thought Schroeder, obviously Vanderbilt's defense, but Schroeder on both sides of the floor, I thought made uh, important contributions when the game was in balance. So uh, who knows if he'll be able to do that again. I'm looking forward to seeing Steph. Is he going to be rested by next game or he's still going to be tired? Yeah, that's the that's the thing. As I'm saying, it's, it's coming down to like who who like gets gets in the cryo chamber, who's better facilities or who sleeps better. Because I mean, AD's gonna be tired, LeBron's gonna be tired. The Warriors are only got there's only two two days in between each game, so the Warriors are still gonna be tired from that yeah. that other series. So they they got to figure that out. I, I, one of the other large concerns of the Warriors is that they don't quite know their lineups yet. The Lakers kind of know who they're putting out there for every situation, and the Warriors are still fooling around with your Michael Green lineups. We don't know why Kaminga is not playing at all. Moody, Moody played a couple of minutes, got a, got a couple of decent rebounds. They don't really quite know who's playing besides their main five and Looney. I mean, that's probably, that's, that's it. And so, uh, you know, once they have to, they have to figure that out on the fly and the Lakers, which ironic is because the Lakers put together this team at the trade deadline. The Warriors have had this team all season and they still have no clue who their eight are, or nine, or what their rotation is, and some of that rotation was to give guys a, a break. But Jamichael Green didn't see minutes in the second half. Um, you know, obviously, I don't know why Kaminga isn't even at least getting a chance to tire out LeBron or be explosive and draw some fouls or do something. But the Warriors just don't know who they have beyond those those six guys. I have to say, one of the things that I really appreciated about the Lakers, the end of the game. They got the ball out of Steph's hands. They mm-hmm. doubled him immediately. Now, Jordan Poole took an ill-advised shot, but Jordan Poole is known to take ill-advised <laughs> shots. And sometimes they go in and sometimes uh, they do not. But I saw the way they ended the game. And, I, I mean, it seems like a small thing. I don't think it's something that is going to go down in the history books as a great big moment. But those are shots that Steph's hit, hits. They're down three with a couple of seconds left. Hand in his face. He hits those shots. After we saw what James Harden did to the Celtics, they didn't do anything about it. They left at the top of the key with Al Horford. I appreciate that the Lakers was like, you know what? It's going to be somebody else. If it's going to happen, we are not going to be on on Steph's game tying shot highlight reel today. And they trapped him in the corner. He got rid of the ball. And then Jordan Poole did a Jeremy I mean, Jordan Poole just- thing. 
Jordan Poole had so many options of what to do, and he picked the literal worst option. Like, you could take five steps. There was nobody around him. Take a couple steps up and get a closer shot or hold the ball, wait for it to reset, and get the ball, I don't know, in the best player's hand. That was that was incredibly smart transition defense by the yeah. Lakers who just were like, as soon as that, that was on the fly, wasn't off of a timeout, they said, look, this guy has the ball. We're stopping him at half court. But you get the ball into Draymond's hand and you reset the you reset. Or you take an open shot that's closer. You don't take a shot that's you know thirty five feet from the basket with what fifteen seconds left in the game. Like that's that's just an ill-advised shot. And I don't know how that was a timeout on the rebound and not a jump ball. But you know, um, yeah, that was one of my one of my boys was also very in love with Steph Curry. Like you texted me the same thing. And then they showed the replay, and it looked clear to me that Schroeder moved the ball away and called a timeout. Like it seemed like he freed the ball up. But mm. you guys can be angry if you want to. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I mean, the war, the Warrior Dub Nation, or what they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of uh, anger at the free throw discrepancy and all that stuff. But that's yeah, just but what it's going to be. Complain. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I get, it. I get complaining about free throw discrepancy when you attack the paint, but they weren't yeah. in there. They, they were not forcing anybody yeah. to make any calls. I can't think of any calls that were missed. Yeah, I mean, and the Warriors are, you know, lead the league and allowing free throws, and the Lakers take more free throws than anybody else. That's just, that's just what it's going to be. I mean, I, you would hope that that regresses to the mean at some point. Um, but the threes are going to regress to the mean a little bit at some point. So th- there, there's a, um, there's a little, a little chess game going on uh, here. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, How'd you to like watch. that LeBron block when LeBron got your man at the rim? How'd you feel about that? You know, okay. Look, this is the thing that we that we do with this LeBron thing, I was where just we well, LeBron, like we, look, we're gonna take it back. We're gonna we're gonna take it back. 2016, man, blocks the guy shot, talking trash. You're 150 pounds heavier than him and a foot taller than him. Congratulations, you blocked the shot. Why are you mad Way to go. me? Way to go. Well, you brought you it up. You brought yeah. it up. I just you asked how you like to block. I didn't say nothing about I'm just saying, LeBron you, I, being a better player. I didn't say nothing about how big he was. I just asked how you like to block. And you had a damn I, that was, breakdown. That was that was my that was my level of likedness to it. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that is, that's a that's a big that's a big guy. Congratulations. You blocked it. You blocked a a, a, a child. He didn't uh, celebrate. Yeah, he, he, was little, LeBron he was just blocked it and moved on. Well, good. That's how you do. Act like you've been there before. <laughs> he has. Big guy. You Big remember? Guy. He has Big been guy. there before. Don't now, you remember? Now, for I people, let, let's transition a little bit to people who have not been there before. So I seg- uh, segue that. D'Angelo oh, Russell fancy. is somebody. He hit the the go ahead shot. The Warriors have got to figure out how to play him off the court. I mean, there's no way that he I mean, he airballed the go-ahead shot uh, uh, earlier, like yeah, a few he, possessions before that. He, like, airballed a three. So, yeah. yeah, D'Angelo is an offensive asset and a defensive liability, but he's doing the best he can out there. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you got if you're the Warriors, you got to figure out how to how to make him unplayable. you got to figure out how to make the coach make a tough decision, similar to what they did with Sabonis in the last round, where you, where you look at him and say, look, this guy's costing us a bunch of points, and it offsets the amount of points that, you're, that he scores. And you got to think about taking him out. Yeah, you can't allow the the Lakers to leave several of your players unguarded in the course of a game and not find a way to make them pay for that. That's what it boils down to for me. I see we got our check, so we can move on. All right, guys, let's pivot to the other game from tonight. Who should feel better about their game two performance, the Knicks or the Heat? Seems obvious to me. I mean, the Heat. 
feel better about everything that happened. Like uh, the Knicks got Julius Randle back and he was incredible in the course of this game. RJ Barrett like played in a way that we're not accustomed to seeing him play, but the heat didn't have nobody on the floor and they still were within one point with less than two minutes left. And I think it's like a one possession game at the end until they had to like foul. It was like three points. They should not be in these games. They should not be competitive. I think they should feel good on the back of people like Gabe Vincent. They are just a whole undrafted team out there and, and, a, old man, and a couple of old men and, and Lowry and Love and then a bunch of guys who not even posed to be in the league. They out here giving them fits. So I think it's the heat. I don't know if you I don't know if you play uh, like 2K basketball games or any of those basketball games where or football games where you have a franchise or whatever. But, you know, when you have a franchise, and you have a, my, it, yeah. my career and you play like 10 years and all the current actual players are gone <laughs> from the league. If you play if you play like 2033 season of Madden, I guarantee the starting quarterback quarterback for the Jets, his name is Haywood Highsmith. Like, where are you getting these guys from where they are doing this? Like, there was a moment in this game where Gabe Vincent was hitting those threes and the Heat were up. And I was like, maybe Heat culture really is a thing. These guys are going to, like, go to the finals or something. Like, I believed in the Heat. There was, like, a five-minute stretch where I was like, the Heat are just going to win the championship with who knows who. Like, they're going to – Glenn Rice and Ronnie Sykley are going to come back and they're going to win a championship now. It doesn't matter who's in the jersey. It's just the Heat. I don't know how to explain it other than the the culture thing must be real because it's not it's not a fluke it's not something that just happened like they are known for making for shining up these rocks that they found at the bottom of the ocean and making them into shiny gems that perform in big situations so but what they've done so far this year doesn't even compare. I mean, I mean, the things in the past don't compare to what they've done this year, knocking off Giannis, getting that game one win and almost winning in game two with nobody. Like, I I don't know what's happening in the NBA this year. It's fun as hell. I assume that everyone's enjoying it, but, but I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, there was all of this parody in the regular season and we're seeing it now. You know, and we, we're talking about the Heat like they won. Hey, the Knicks won that's, their yeah, first right. yeah. second round uh, playoff game. I don't know, in like 15, 15, 20 years. I don't know how long ago it was. It was, it's forever. forever ago. And they won it, and it was a glorious moment. And everybody um, in New York is celebrating and happy. And Josh Hart has become the new darling of New York. How can you not, how could you hate Josh Hart? Did you see the clip where he was thanking the ref? You see this? No, I didn't see that. He was there was the a there was a clip uh, where he's thanking a ref. Uh, no, one of the refs on the way out, and one of the, some fan is like, "Look, see, it's the the Knicks. It's proof that the refs are helping him out. He's thanking them." And Josh Hart replies on Twitter. He goes, "Look, I thank the refs every game. After every game, I make sure I thank every ref during the game. Like, how could you? How could you hate this guy? And he just rebounds, and he has almost a triple double, and he hits corner threes, and he defends." And he's just a lovable New York Nick guy, like the most Nickiest guy ever. And he came with the trade deadline. He became, he has somehow become like the second most important trade de- trade deadline move in the NBA. Was was Kyle Lowry as good as Jalen Brunson is right now? 
because they remind me of each other. I think it's just because they're not explosive. They're kind of square bodied, <laughs> short, shortish point guards. But Jalen Brunson, square, square body. That's yeah, a nice way to. That's, they're square body. Nice, they're both okay. kind of square body. Look a little full back to me. Yeah, and uh-huh. it's like yeah. they're not lanky basketball bodies, but whatever. You can, you can, you can say players. you can say it. Kyle Lowry's a, he's a stallion. You can say it. <laughs> You could say that's what you want to say. Kyle Lowry, Lowry the Stallion. You wanted to say it. I know you did. All right. If that's the what's the cure man here, you could say it. <laughs> I forgot whatever the hell I was talking about. It's just Jalen Brunson is really good and in clutch situations. I'm happy to see him having success now, but I don't feel confident for this next team. And I, I look back at the Heat, I don't feel confident for them either, but I at least feel like I got something that I can grab onto is Jimmy Butler and Heat culture. Like, uh, if he comes back healthy, I think I'm leaning Heat. If he doesn't, yeah. the Heat might still win. Yeah, I mean, I don't – yeah, I think they bought themselves some time uh, with this game. It wasn't a blowout. The Knicks, I think, are a little shook by the fact that they almost lost this game without Jimmy Butler. And if that ankle is better, you're going to Miami – and he's, you know, doing good. Julius Randle still doesn't quite look yeah. himself. Yeah, man, I I, I got to say the Heat are going to move forward. And the way that Boston's looking, the way that Embiid may not be back, what the hell, man? Like the Heat might might do this thing in the East, man. I don't know. I, like I believe – I will believe anything after I saw what they did to Milwaukee. Like if I fell asleep for three weeks and you were like the Miami Heat have defeated the champions and went back in time and defeated the 72 and 10 Bulls – because they just felt like it. I would just be like, sure, of course they did. Yeah, I can't make heads or tails of any of this, but it sure is fun. Alabaster, give me a check, jerk. Thank you. All right. It's been fun, David Dennis. I'm going to miss you. I have to let you go for, I mean, some would argue an upgrade, but I mean, I'm not that. A lot of people are saying, a lot, a lot of people are saying. Streets are talking. All right, it's the upgrade that I promised from David Dennis Jr. to everybody's <laughs> favorite country boy, Big Perk. How did tech treat you, brother? What's up, Nate? What's up, Nate? Sure. It took me a while to get on here, but I got it figured out. All right, don't judge me. That's all that matters. Uh, you're you here on time. All right, Alabaster, what you got for us? Okay. So, first two games of the Nugget Suns have not gone exactly the way we thought. Have you seen enough to call the series for the Denver Nuggets? Mm, for the Nuggets and the, the MVP? Yes. <laughs> oh, you didn't even hear. I just gave him the MVP just to see if I could get you upset. And you ain't even respond to me. I didn't respond to you. But look, let me say this. Who are we? Because... I never disrespected this Nuggets team, and I always had my doubts about the Phoenix Suns. Now, granted, I did pick them in six to win. I'm talking about the Suns because I, I just witnessed how Devin Booker was playing at a high level. But when I look at this Denver Nuggets team and I look at the depth that they have, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, Caldwell Pope being a 3 and D guy, bringing that championship experience, I'm looking at the other side and the way that DeAndre Ayton is playing. I'm like, DeAndre Ayton had the nerve to say in the interview like four or five days ago that he runs on a Tesla battery. That's what he said. He runs on a Tesla battery. He might need to switch over to a diesel motor, a diesel engine, because Jokic gave him that work last night. And like, if he's not going to be a, a Kavon Looney for them, 
then I'm willing to say right now, I don't see this series going past five in a Nuggets favor. I don't get the Aiton thing because, like, he's a better athlete than – like, he's he is everything you want in a big man. And I remember a couple mm-hmm. years ago when they're making a run, I fell in love with him as a player. And I was like, he going to be special. They're going to figure something out. And it just – it's just it's just right there, like just on the edge. And he never quite is. I mean, as a big man, I guess you can see it better than me. What is it that he needs to do to get there? Well, all he got to do is is this. First, rebound the ball. Secondly, don't be afraid to put your black Air Force Ones on. That means get in the mud and get dirty. Yeah. I don't care about the cute little pick and pops, 15 footers. Like, I want to see you down in the paint mixing it up. I want to see you fighting for position and not letting Jokic catch it easy and denying and setting good hard screens and actually protecting the basket. Like, that's what I want to see out of DeAndre Ayton. And to be honest with you, I don't know if he got it. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's in him. Yeah. Like, to, to, to go out and get 20 rebounds and 11 offensive rebounds, we've we watched Kevon Looney do it. We've watched Mitchell Robinson doing it. Do it, and if we would have before the playoffs would have started, if you and I, Nick, were having a debate about, and I would have said, "Hey, man, you know Mitchell Robinson and Kevon Looney, they gonna be better centers in these post no in way. this postseason than DeAndre Ayton." What you would have said? Yeah, I'd have, I'd have lost my mind. That's ridiculous. Like the the ability to defend on the perimeter is something that I look for in defensive or in centers. And like, that's Mm -hmm. something that Aiden has, but you are making me realize that there are some basic things that you can't really scout for. And we talk about it in football all the time. Either you got that dog or you don't (laughs) like, right. You want to fight in the paint or you don't. And it seemed like Aiden doesn't, it feels unfair to put it all on him. It's not all on him, but I just personally have been disappointed in his, uh, development but I guess we should celebrate how impressive Jokic was I was gonna say Jokic in the Nuggets but it ain't all the Nuggets because Jamal Murray definitely ain't show up offensively but Jokic was doing everything they needed well they took turns because Jamal Murray took over game one Jokic took over game two and Aaron Gordon has been outplaying Kevin Durant imagine (laughs) it Aaron Gordon is outplaying Kevin Durant like what, what world are we living in right now? What world are we living in right now? <laughs> Nothing makes sense in the playoffs this year, man. No, it don't. And so I think it's to the point where it's like we really need to stop looking at the name on the back of the jersey and re- just respect the name on the front, front of the jersey and respect that these guys get paid too. Yeah. And also I want to ask you this, Nick. Can I ask you a question? Oh, please do. So we have seen – and and you know you know this uh-huh. even in all sports in order to win a championship at any level in order to win a super bowl in order to win a stanley cup in order to win a world series you need an entire team you need depth right you need a a, a roster that's stacked at every position and you need backups that's gonna come in to replace those guys the phoenix suns had four points last night off the bench Monty Williams has zero trust in guys that he have on his bench. Now, he plays campaign, you know, some minutes, and he had to play them extended minutes because CP3 went out. But can you answer this for me or, or try to? How does Terrence Ross, a guy that we didn't see go for 50 in our league off the yeah. bench, 
and TJ Warren not even get a shot. Yeah. That's, in this postseason. Yeah, it seems like there doesn't seem to be like any structure to like Monty Williams uh substitution patterns or like a plan behind it, which is why I'm with you. Go ahead and throw something out there. See what happened. Give everybody some minutes. I, I mean, because none of this is working. And with the CP3 injury, campaign is is a guy that you want to put in for spurts, give you some instant offense. He can't be your full game point guard. Like, you got to find some other answers, and they can't live. The depth was their issue before. And I want to get back to Aaron Gordon for a second because that's the shock of the series for me is he is he, I mean, nobody can stop Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant's missing some shots, but he's making all his shots hard and he's playing well on offense. Like he deserves a lot of credit for the way this series is going. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't feel like there's any answer for the Suns. There is no answer for them. They just, they're shooting a lot of tough shots. I feel sorry for Devin Booker because he, the whole playoffs, I've been impressed. It feels like he went up a level to me defensively, offensively, he feels like he went up a level, but this team around him ain't it. Well, Nick, you know this, right? As a former player, you know it's certain things that you hear in post-game interviews that coaches may say that you'd be like, I know exactly what he's talking about because they preach this in the locker room. So Coach Mike Malone, in his post-game interview, he said, tough contested tools, mid-range shots, are not going to beat us in this series. So this is what I took from it. Because in every locker room, this is what people are saying. A tough contested two outside the paint is the lowest percentage shot in basketball. And so coaches are saying, we are living with that. That's what we want. So no matter how many of those Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and CP3 hit, Coaches feel like they love their chances on them taking those shots for them to win that game. And it's happening right before our very eyes. They <laughs> held the Phoenix Suns to 87 points. Now, I'm going to tell you this. That's Nick, crazy. I, I haven't said this on no other platform, so I'm going to give you this. All, all right? right. This is somewhat of a hot take, but this is somewhat of how I really feel. And this is not disrespect. I believe that it's time for Chris Paul to consider retiring. Here's why I say that. It's not because of what he's doing on the floor, because he's shown us that when he's available, he's able to produce, okay? That's number one. So there's no disrespect to his game. Uh I believe that Father Time has caught up with Chris Paul. If you just look at his injuries, right? As the the deeper they get into the postseason, the more minutes that they play, all of a sudden, he's going out with a hamstring. Can't count on him. It's it's something to that nature. So it's it's not like he have a a LeBron James or Giannis-type body frame, Mm -hmm. although he he take care of his body to say that I believe he's 38 years of age. But this is what I'm saying. It It is starting to be too much of a trend. And at some point, I believe he has to realize that is my body still able so to take I'm a I'm a co-sign that and add to it because part of it is the position he plays and the way that he plays it. So like there are certain guys that you can do without or you can build around without having, but you know who you can't really replace that easily? It's your old school point guard. Like you're <laughs> 
your court general point guard. And if you lose him as a part of the team, it's a lot harder to come back from that. And especially on a team like this, that's still trying to figure out who they are or what they can do. And we saw in minutes in there that he like would stabilize their offense in, in game two. There were minutes or stretches in there where he would stabilize their offense. And there were times in previous seasons when he was the, the orchestrator of the whole offense. When you lose that guy, it's like losing a quarterback. You can't do nothing about it. You can figure, you can coach around a, a tackle. You can coach around missing a receiver. You can't do nothing when your quarterback is gone. And even though he's not as important as he once was, he still like holds a big spot on that team and they can't count on him. Right. No, that's facts. And, and, and let me go back to Kevin Durant. Uh-huh. Kevin Durant is on the clock. Kevin Durant is on the clock. Kevin Durant better up his game because to some, he's the great, he's the best player in the league. That's to some people. I still stand and I believe that is Giannis. That's just my opinion. But Kevin Durant also got swept last year. Kevin Durant better pull off two games in this series if they do lose this series. Uh, Alabas, I'll get you to you in a second, but Perk, you started off by, by saying that you never disrespected the Nuggets. I can't say the same thing for myself. So maybe you don't owe them an apology, but I probably do. Because at the beginning of this, I was like, they just don't look like a championship team to me. And I was dead wrong because they are making all these teams that they've played so far. And maybe the Suns just aren't good, but the Nuggets seem together, well coached, uh, like a full team. They seem to have like their roles well-defined and they got two players that they can hand the ball when there's trouble and they can make stuff happen. Cause Jokic put on a clinic uh, on Tuesday night or Monday night. Well, well, I mean, Nick, to be honest, I don't feel like nobody owes the Nuggets an apology. Let me explain why, because they haven't given us a reason in the postseason yeah. to believe in them. So they, they got to yeah. show up like you're the number one seed. You're healthy. You got depth. You got to show us what you're capable of doing. The wild thing about all these playoffs so far is like I didn't feel like I knew much coming in. And I feel like I know less now (laughs) because like I'm, I'm thinking the Nuggets. Yeah, the Nuggets look great. But their first round series wasn't much of a challenge. And are we sure the Suns are any good? They struggled against the Clippers who didn't have their two top players at certain points. So, like, I don't know how to feel about any of the teams like the Warriors I trust them because we've seen them do it a bunch of times this new Lakers team like the Grizzly maybe they just collapsed and figured out like I don't know how good anybody is on the west and who the hell knows what's happening on the east don't even need your best players to be competitive in these games anymore I don't get it no I mean but you know what thank god we don't get paid for predictions (laughs) yeah okay because you just never know I, I heard Boston talk the entire season about how they couldn't wait for this moment. And they should have swept the Atlanta Hawks. That's the first thing. But they didn't. And then you go into a game last night with no Joel Embiid, and James Harden drops 45 on you. And a lot of those shots were in the mid-range. And I said this on multiple shows. I haven't seen James Harden hit this many mid-range shots since Moby Dick was a goldfish. And this is what I have a problem with. This is why it's so unpredictable. We just don't know. Yeah. We just don't know. We don't know. We didn't know the Heat were going to sit up here and smoke the Milwaukee Bucks. We didn't know Jimmy Butler was going to turn into 
Michael Jordan in the postseason, although we should have because we should have believed it. But the Heat has looked so suspect throughout the course of the season. I'm with you. I'm just enjoying it from yeah, here on out. I will still make predictions, but I don't give a damn. I just want to see great basketball. Yeah, all right, Alabasta. We clearly don't need you, but you can come on in here and uh, change topics for us anyway. Because <laughs> you cer- certainly don't. I do yeah. want to. I just want to get one final piece on the Durant and the Suns, and that's the trade. That's the brass tacks of all of this. And the follow up I got on this is. If they get beaten handily by the Nuggets with what we've seen from Mikael Bridges, what we've seen with all those picks, what we've seen with Cam Johnson, are the Suns going to regret that trade? No. I mean, you get a chance at Kevin Durant, you go for Kevin Durant. Perk, mm-hmm. what do you think? It is regret what you wanted to say or failure? Either. Choose your own adventure. Well, one, I, I don't even think we can mention the word failure no more since it's not <laughs> failure in sports. That's what I wanted to dive into. Like, the most ridiculous thing yeah. I've ever heard, and for people to applaud that, yeah. it's even more crazy. Like, w- what's the point of competing? And if you have expectations as a team and you don't reach those expectations, you fail. So my thing is, no, the Suns shouldn't regret trading for Kevin Durant. Anybody would have pulled the trigger at that time to pair him and Devin Booker together because you didn't get Kevin Durant for what another three years, I believe. So uh-huh. he has left on his contract. Okay, cool. But if the Suns get beat, I believe it's a failure. Yeah. If they get beat in the second round, it's a failure. If they don't reach the conference finals, at least that's a failure. That's a failed season. Yeah, you Chris don't. Paul, right. I, like, there's no other way around. Yeah, I, I, I think we agree. on. So maybe not this year, but uh, this year, this season will be a failure if they don't make it to the conference finals. Yeah. If they don't make it to the finals at some point. And honestly, like, you trade for Kevin Durant to win a championship. So, like, that's why you mortgage your future. That's why you give away all your good players. Like, nobody is trading for Kevin Durant because they want to be interesting. So at the end of the Kevin, Kevin Durant time in Phoenix, like if they don't got a ring, then I think that it's a failure. Will they regret doing the trade? Probably not because it's something that you have to do when Kevin Durant's available. But I don't mm-hmm. know. It's interesting to consider what would happen if they kept this core around the way Devin Booker is playing now and they have a little bit more flexibility. I don't know. It's, a, it's still hard to believe that they can ever get anybody as good as Kevin Durant is right now. So it's disappointing. There you go. You got in the show with your silly question. What's next? Thank you. Well, <laughs> you guys started in on it before I cut you guys off. Yeah, but exactly. It's the, Cel- it's the Celtics. Yeah. yeah. So did you learn more about the Celtics or James Harden from that first game? What'd you think, Perk? Um, I actually learned more about the 76ers. I learned more about the 76ers. I learned that when they put their mind to it, they actually could defend because the first half was horrible. I thought the second half led by P.J. Tucker, they actually locked in defensively. First time Paul Reed ever started in the postseason, and he had a great game, went to the free throw line and iced four big free throws, and James Harden completely took over that game. And when I looked at it, it was like it was a feeling that it was like, I'm watching Melton come in off the bench, and I'm saying, are we underestimating this team? Did we underestimate their depth? Did 
Did we underestimate their will? Did we under, underestimate the talent that they have? Tyrese Maxey, I, I believe, went like 11 for 27. I think he had like 26 points or something to that nature. He didn't even have a great game. But they still won. Yeah. They won against a stacked Celtic team, which is crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I get you. Maybe we underestimated the Sixers, but we ain't underestimate them that much. There is no way the Celtics should give up game one to the Sixers at home. And yeah. I feel like I might be able to excuse this away if they still had their same coach from last year. If they still had, uh, if they if they didn't have a couple lay a couple eggs in the previous round. If the problem with this team in this game wasn't their defense, like that's the concerning part to me is like, so I feel like I learned more about them and not in a good way, like Harden going off. Like I could even assume that Harden's not going to do that every week or every game through the course of the series. Maybe he could do that a couple more times, but with the wing defenders that the Celtics have, this is a perfect matchup. The one thing that, that the 76 has had is Joel Embiid. That's the one thing they had that was going to be a problem for the Celtics. And so you come out the Boston garden with the emotions of game one with three stellar wing defenders and let James Harden cook you. Nah, I learned more about them and a lot more about Joe Missoula than I wanted to learn. I seen this last, I seen this last series. I'm like, where's that defensive identity? There's no way, like you just alluded to, there's no way you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, Grant Williams. Those are six elite defenders at the wing and guard position. And not one of y'all could take on the challenge of actually guarding James Harden. And I know he's a tough cub. I know it was a guy that averaged 36 in our league, but he haven't averaged 36 in a long time. Second of all, I want to understand this. James Harden scored 29 points either when Al Horford switched on him or was involved with the pick and roll. Al Horford was on James Harden the last uh, play when he got the three off. I've been having this concern all season long. I felt like the Celtics should have waited before they rewarded Joe Mazzulla with the contract extension. I thought he should have earned that in the postseason. And what he do in the postseason? If you see a guy have it going on, I believe James Harden had like, what, 20 or 18 points in the first quarter? Yeah. At what point do you say, you know what? I'm going to go trap him and say, you know, somebody else got to beat us. Right. You didn't do that none. Okay, then the last play of the game. You First of all, people don't realize this. The shot that James hit was on the side on – the ball was on the on the side of the court where it was by the Celtics bench. Uh -huh. They had three defenders over there, three offensive players that were right by Joe Mazzulla. Joe Mazzulla. <laughs> I have seen coaches do this. You could tell a player from right from where you're standing to go fire and go trap. That's the privilege of actually having the team on your side of the floor uh -huh. where you could call out defensive sets and actually talk your team through the defense. Yeah. James Harden had Al Horford on the island. You needed one stop. 
He he was the only guy that had it going. Yeah. Why didn't you go get him? Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, Al Horford in, in, in Al Horford's defense, like he got a great contest, but still, I feel like you when they when they do the 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 screen to get him free, trap James Harden. Make him pass yeah. it to somebody else. Make somebody else make a decision because it's not like James Harden wasn't cooking all game long. But yeah, it's it's tough for that team. There's really no excuse. And the only team that's been more concerning, well, actually, I don't think they've been more concerning. I was going to say the the way the Heat have been giving the Knicks all they want, but that's not that's not more concerning because the Celtics, I thought, were championship favorites. I thought they should have won it last year, and they fell apart in the finals. And now they've fallen apart before they even get to the finals. This is, I don't know, if, if uh, Tatum or Brown or somebody in there got to grab hold of somebody and get things straight because it don't seem like they got that, whatever that personality is that they need. And Marcus Smart, I would think, has plenty of it. But somebody got to figure out how to make this team play better because they're better than they've looked. I know, and, and you know what's crazy is that I go back and forth. Wick Grosbeck is the owner, one of the owners of the Celtics. Me and him are great friends. And he sent me texts about some of the things I say on TV, and we be jokingly going at it, but it be kind of serious at times. <laughs> he like, oh, we going to show you. I'm glad you added fuel to us. And I'm like, okay, Wick, I want you to show me. Like, I'm not rooting against the Celtics. I'm just seeing things that I'm not supposed to be seeing from a team that claims that they've been waiting, that they're waiting on this moment. That's all. That's all. Yeah, it's not a surprise. That's my this is great a, guy too, yeah. by the way. Yeah, great guy. This is um this. Yeah, they've been competitive just about since Tatum's been there. I mean, even before he was there, they've been like a competitive team. This is not a team that just like stumbled into the playoffs and is just happy to be here. This is why y'all here. Like it, yeah. there's only a few teams that go into training camp and 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 look at July and plan for it, and they're one of those teams. And now they are here and looking terrible. Jim. And you 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 would think you would think that they would have more more motivation watching Giannis and the Bucks go home. Yeah, stand to themselves that once we get past Philly, which we now have. Matter of fact. The Celtics actually have home court advantage throughout the playoffs now. Thanks to the Heat, yeah. So you you would think that they would say, "Oh, we got to <laughs> it's right there for us." Because in order to win at any level, yes, you need talent, yes, you need coaching, but you also need some luck. Yeah, and luck is on their side. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I we don't even have to get into what Brogdon did last game, so he had to make up for that because I don't. That didn't make any sense. He passed the ball right to Maxi, and when he passed it, well, first of all, Tatum shouldn't pass it to him, but he passed it. There was not even enough time to get a shot off. Right. <laughs> even if you pass it to your own guy, y'all don't got a shot. But, Nick, let me ask you this. At what point, though, let me ask you this. We watched the Celtics play AAU-style basketball offensively the entire game. My turn. Yeah. He'll tell them, you go to work, in and out, cross, oh, I get to the cup. Malcolm Brogdon, here you go, oh, I'm going to take you here, step back, little 15-footer. Okay, JB, I'm in my bag, in and out, pull up three. At what point as a coach, though, are you going to put players in position to be yeah. successful? Can we see a couple of sets? Yeah. Can we see something that's just not happening out of my turn? And that's what ended up happening on the last possession. 
The so yeah, the offensive stuff. You're right about that. I I didn't even consider that honestly because I've been too focused on the defense, and that falls on the yep. coach to me. And uh, that stuff is like tied directly to the coach, particularly when you have a team that's really good at defense. So like, I'm not aware of all the, and no one talks about Doc Rivers as if he is like uh, the way I hear people talk about Ty Lue. Like Ty Lue is supposedly making all these in-game adjustments, but Doc Rivers is making some adjustments. And whatever his adjustments are, Joe Mazzula don't got nothing for it because they just yep. seem lost. It seems he like they don't know what to do when things are happening. And, I, I mean, obviously I don't know the ins and outs of that organization, but they moved on from a coach that they thought that, that made it clear to us that he knew what to do in those situations. And now they're in a, a bad spot with these players and a coach who doesn't seem to know. So – Maybe we're overreacting and maybe or maybe I'm overreacting and maybe this was just a fluke and the Celtics will be back. But it this wasn't the first time. This wasn't the first time in these playoffs that they just showed up and looked terrible against a well, worse team. Well, well, first of all, this is not a fluke. And just because the, the, the Celtics won the series season series, I believe, three to one. But if you go back and watch all of those games between the 76ers, they were close. Right. One of those games, Jason Tatum had to hit a game winner. So it wasn't like it was a smackdown or anything to that nature. So, like, the Sixers feel like they got enough, and they actually do. This is going to be a great series. I believe it's going seven games now, and I don't know who's going to win. It it depends on Joel Embiid, which I believe him after after him winning MVP, he's going to play in game two. And if he want to play in game two, Damn it, Doc, let him play because I'm going all in at this point. I, I stole game one. If Joel want to come back game two, it will be great for Philly to go back to Philly in game three being up 2-0. That would be great. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, nobody can predict what's happening with Embiid's body, but this team is different and not better without him. They might have won a game without him, but they're not going to the championship without a healthy Embiid. So we'll see how that all works out. Appreciate you, Perk. Give me my check, Alabaster. We earned that. Unless you got any more interjections, you good? I'm good. Doesn't matter. I didn't care. I Goodbye. For pretend. <laughs> hang up anyway. It's late. Appreciate you, brother. I right, appreciate you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thanks appreciate for being y'all. with us, man. All right.